2 Peter chapter 3, uh, we'll look at this in a moment, uh, but Peter, especially in this last chapter, uh, mentions several times uh, conditions and uh, things related to the last of the last days. And I know that people have been thinking that Jesus could come any day for a long, long time, and we should be thinking He could come at any day. And uh, we studied this last Sunday evening as it relates to the example of, of Lot. And we'll make a, an application to that tonight as well, and the destruction of Sodom. But we're going to take up where we left off last week. Please stand if you would, if you're able to stand, for the reading of the Word of God. And we're going to look into the last two verses of 2 Peter chapter 3 and um, emphasize another aspect of this, the influence of Sodom, really the what it's like living in Sodom. In verse 17 it says, You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Now this is an admonition not to you know, the lost world, but to those who profess to know the Lord. And he says, since you know these things, beware, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, and fall from your own steadfastness. Let's go ahead and read verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now I want, to, I want to speak on this subject tonight. Three words are in, in verse 17 where it says, being led away. We'll come to that several times, that phrase. Being led away with the error of the wicked. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Bless as we study it tonight. We want to hear from you from your word. And Father, our confidence is not in our ability to read and understand but our confidence is in the Spirit of God to be our teacher. And so we pray that you would write upon the tables of our heart truths, impress upon us, remind us of things. Lord, may we be convinced tonight by the Word of God and the Spirit of God of truth. Take it seriously and have strong beliefs about it. We pray for that and trust you, Lord. We, wanna, we want to please you and glorify you and honor you in this culture that you've allowed us to live in. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This is such an important subject to me. I can't prove this. This is on my personal observation, my estimation, that I think there's a higher percentage, a greater percentage than any time in my lifetime that I can remember of professing Christians, including preachers, who are moving in the wrong direction spiritually. I didn't say there may be more people. I think there are more people, but I'm talking about the percentage of people. I mean, I, I don't remember everything. Some things, you know, I have foggy memory about. Some things that I know happened probably didn't happen. But still, uh, it's, it's so obvious to me that the percentage of people, even people in churches who have a nominal commitment to truth is just on the increase. 
And, and, and sadly, it's even true about preachers. And you say, well, you know, what makes you the judge? I'm not the judge, but the Word of God is the judge. Let God be true and every man a liar. If God says it, that is, that's the final authority. And, and it's not for me to decide what, how everybody ought to live. It's for God to decide how everybody ought to live. And by the way, it's not for you to decide how you should live. God has already dictated, directed how we all should live. And as Christians, that's what Christians do, right? Christians obey the Lord. Christians love the Lord and serve the Lord and follow the Lord. And so this, to me, this subject, that's really the basis of the last three messages, is a very, ought to be of concern to every believer. But I want to, I want to emphasize this. It ought to be a concern to every parent that's trying to influence their children in the right way. And I'm not saying this to be doomsday, but it's not getting easier to turn out uh, young people who love the Lord and are dedicated to God and want to follow the Lord. It's, you, can, you can't be assured that just because you go to church and because you have your children in Sunday school and they go to the Christian school or their home school, or whatever, you can't be sure that that's going to... And, and our goal is, we make no bones about it, our goal is not to have better kids than we are or good kids. Our goal is to have children that walk with God and love God and serve God, and that's what life is about for them. Because that's what the Bible teaches, Right? So, so these matters are, are of relevance to us. Now in this passage, I said in 2 Peter, especially the third chapter, uh, he's referring to last day's phenomenon, really. In, in chapter 3, for instance, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Last days scoffers in verse 10 it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. That's talking about the coming of the Lord. In chapter 3 and verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. So all these warnings have to do with Christian behavior, Christian lifestyle. And we're going to look at this in great detail tonight, or some detail I should say. But, but notice, the, go, go back if you would please to verse 17 where we begin. Ye therefore, beloved, because of these things, seeing that you know these things, or seeing you know these things, before, beware. It's a warning. Beware. Lest ye also, lest it happen to you, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Now what is it that we might be led away from? Lest ye also be led away. Now what are we in danger of being led away from. Look at what the scripture says. From your own steadfastness. Not just led away from what everybody else believes, but led away from the steadfastness that characterized your life. Do you think that ever happens to someone? That, they're, that they were once steadfast, but they've been moved away from their steadfastness? Well, sure. Matter of fact, it can happen to any of us. That's why we need perpetual revival. That's why we need to be continually seeking God with all of our heart and having honest evaluation of where we are spiritually. By the way, what does the word steadfastness means? It means firmness. It means stability. It means, it means steadiness. It, it is a word that describes what every Christian should be. Steadfast. You ought to ask yourself, does that, 
Does that describe my life spiritually as a Christian? Am I steadfast? Am I stable? Am I firm? This is, and by the way, this, this word right here is it's a very unique word only found in this place in the New Testament. But it ought to describe where we are. We, we should not be always on the move, drifting. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church about being blown about by every wind of doctrine. Every, there's a breeze blows and you're going to blow, believe a little different because there's another breeze blowing. And the Bible warns us about that. The opposite of steadfast would be unstable. Unstable. That word is found also in 2 Peter chapter 3. Look in verse 16. Here he's talking about Peter's writing and he's talking about the epistles of Paul. In 2 Peter 3.16 he says, As also in all his epistles, all of Paul's epistles, they were available. Peter was reading them. The people had access to them. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which, in his epistles, are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and, there's the word, unstable, rest. The word rest means to, it's like wrestle, means to twist, rest. These, are, these things in the, in the word of God, these things in Pauline epistles are hard to be understood, by some, they're unlearned and they're unstable and they're twisting them as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Now that's a very informative verse. Unstable people, people who are not secure, people who are not on the, fixed on the rock, people who are not solidly on biblical ground, they twist the teachings of the Bible. They twist them, they turn them for their own benefit, for their own preference. They twist the word of God and the end is their own destruction. That describes so much of what's going on in our day. People twisting the word of God to make it, to make it a complementary to what they want to do and what they want to believe, twisting it as something that they don't want to follow and the end of that result will be their destruction. Look in 2 Peter chapter 2. Look with me if you would please. This is uh, early in the chapter talking about false prophets. That's the first, first, very first words of chapter 2, verse 1. But there are false prophets also among the people. And much of what's written in chapter 2 is about these false prophets. And I think false prophets primarily in the latter day, even though they were around in Peter's day. But look in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 14. It describes them saying this, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. They just are sinful. We all sin, but these people just can't stop sinning. By the way, they're not saved. These people are not. They just they can't cease from sin, and they're beguiling. Notice who they beguile. What does it say? Unstable souls. Who is it that falls prey to these false teachers? It's unstable souls. Unstable is the opposite of being steadfast. If you fall from your steadfastness, you become unstable. Beguiling, he says in verse 14, unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practices. And notice what Peter calls them, cursed children. And then look in verse 15. Which have forsaken the right way 
and are gone astray following the way of Balaam. Again, just put all this together in your mind. We started where he said the a final warning of Peter's epistle was, the final warning is, beware lest you also be led away. And here he says the false teachers themselves have done what? Forsaken the right way. They were in the right way. They knew the right way. But they've forsaken the right way and are gone astray. Following a def- another way. The way of Balaam, unstable souls. Second Corinthians or Second Peter chapter two and verse seventeen. He says these are wells without water. Notice this description of them: clouds that are carried with a tempest. They're like clouds. They're like clouds that are carried with the wind. That's to me. That doesn't sound like steadfastness to me. That doesn't sound like stability to me. Now, please hear me. I'm not, this may sound kind of random, but all this has to do with this whole matter of like Lot, who was led from the place of righteousness and, and and a part of God's plan with Abraham, his uncle, until he was basically consumed with the lifestyle of Sodom. And, ha- and this, this describes this, this last day's uh, phenomenon Peter's writing about. Just sh- and what I'm about among professing Christians, shifting, vacillating, unfixed, unstable. And what is it, I'm going to go back to our original text, 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, 3 and verse 7. What is it that leads people away? Led, being led away with the error of the wicked. It's very interesting. That word error, if you look it up in Thayer's dictionary, it defines error as wandering or straying. Wandering away. I'm telling you, that describes where a lot of churches are. Just wandering away. Where preachers are just wandering. And many professing Christians who've grown up being exposed to the truth Not just the opinions or traditions of men, but the Word of God. But now they've they've turned away. They're they're drifting. Led away with the error of the wicked. So, what does that tell you? The leaders are going in the wrong direction, and they're influencing other people to go in the wrong direction. And to me, this instability describes much of our culture. Always changing values. Always changing beliefs. Always changing standards. Changing morality. I've never, I've never read about this. I've read of it. I've never tried to figure it out. But they say now there are over a hundred different possible genders that people have. It seemed pretty complex to me, didn't you? I thought there were only two. Confusing. And the sad thing is, it's not just in, you know, in my day, in, when I was a teenager, all this stuff was, was maybe going on in the 
the Hyatt-Asbury district of San Francisco. That's where it was. Now it's all over the world. Now it's in Lonedale, Anaconda, the, the big cities. I was thinking about this, and again, these things you cannot really prove necessarily. But think about this. Talking about change, instability. Think about the history of our country. Uh, in, in 1607, the Jamestown Settlement, the first English settlement was established in 1607. And then you fast forward to uh, the mid-1700s, the, the American Revolution takes place. Then you fast forward another hundred years uh, to the war between the states, uh, the war of northern aggression. <laughs> the war between the states, and now you're the 1850s. And then you go another hundred years to the 1950s. And this is what you find if you think through those first 350 or so years of history. Not a lot has changed as far as the home and family. In 350 years, not a lot has changed. Now, yes, we do have telegraph and telephone and major forms of communication, telewoman. No, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Oops. Not a lot. Of, we, we, we now have, we have automobiles, we have locomotives, we have, we have airplanes. But as far as the way people generally, their moral standards, it hasn't changed that much in 350 years. As far as marital, uh, the, the home and the family, the sin hadn't changed that much in 350 years. Really, if you want to talk about manners and modesty, gender identity, it hadn't changed that much in 350 years. Are you following me? 350 years. Out of curiosity, I looked today and the percentage of churchgoers, as far as they can tell, in the mid-1700s, the percentage of churchgoers in America was 75 to 80 percent. That's pretty good. Seven or eight out of ten people attended church regularly. Now it's 37 percent. It's not a good sign. Now my point is that for, for all those years, and I just went back to the origin of this country. You could go back even further, you know, to the Puritans, go back even further to the, you know, where the, where the people came from that came to America. For all those years, basically marriage stayed pretty much the same and moral standards stayed pretty much the same and, and you know, modesty and behavior and, and mannerisms, they stayed pretty much the same. But look what's happened in our lifetime. That's my point. And you know what's happening is the error of the wicked is leading people astray. That's, that's the warning of Peter. Beware, lest ye also be led astray by the error of the wicked. You know what? Please, I mean, I, I know this... Um, is not new to you. I know most, most of you may think we already know this, but I'm telling you, if you're not careful, the culture is going to change you. And it's going to change your children. And, and you know, 
There's something worse than being changed by the culture. And that's being changed and not noticing it or not caring about it or even defending it. We are not to be, we are not to be led astray from the steadfastness that God wants us to have. We're not to be tolerant of evil. We're to flee from evil. We're to shun evil. Evil morals, evil beliefs, evil companions. The Bible tells us we're to hate evil. Something I have to remind myself often is not just to know what evil is, but to hate evil. To hate evil. If it's gossiping, if it's lusting, if whatever, hate evil. Learn to hate evil. Sin, we tolerate sin, we pamper ourselves over sin, we make excuses over our sin. And my warning is, I believe Peter's warning is, be careful, lest you also be led away from your steadfastness. Psalm 97 says, ye that love the Lord hate evil. Those two things go together. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. But Lot... The primary subject of this series was reluctant to distance himself from evil. He was reluctant. And he's, he's the pattern that God gave us. And why do you keep talking about it? He's the pattern God gave us. It's a warning to all of us. He didn't distance himself from Sodom's companions, his friends, their, their lifestyle, their morals. And it ruined him and his family. I think we need to be careful. I I read this on uh, social media yesterday. This is pretty current on Twitter. Uh, Rick Warren posted this. Rick Warren, Saddleback Church, famous for, what is the book he's famous for? What is it? Yeah. Purpose-driven life, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big, big deal. I haven't read it, but it's a big deal. This is what he said. I'm going to quote it. We may have different views, but I love Ellen DeGeneres. Does anybody know who Ellen DeGeneres is? Her hilarious comedy is always clean and never hurts people. She's a great humanitarian. Most of all, she's a kind soul in an unkind, uncivil culture. Bless you, Ellen. I used your example in a sermon on kindness today. Now, what kind of a message is that? For a nationally known preacher, the Saddleback Church is a Southern Baptist church. It's a Baptist church. A nationally known Baptist preacher to compliment a woman who is known as being a lesbian, an outspoken you know, proponent of same-sex marriage. And this, we're talking about preachers doing this. Now you may say, they think this is sort of extreme. I'm just telling you, the culture is being corrupted. And people can hear that, and they say, well, you know, they fall for that. Well, if he said that, if he said that, well, maybe that's worth considering. Maybe we're, and I'm not, I'm not a hater. I'm not, I'm not saying I hate her. I'm just saying this. I'm not going to recommend her. I'm not going to bless her. <laughs> this is what the Bible says. I think it was being taught in Sunday school this morning, the Antioch class. Prove all things. 
Hold fast that which is good. If you prove all things, that means you put it to the test. Take what you think, what you say, what you believe, what you practice, and put it to the test of the Word of God and see if it's good. And if it's not, let it go. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. If it looks bad, stay away from it. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy, set you apart. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the temptation, the warning, the admonition of Peter is, beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked. Led away how? First of all, led away morally. That's what Lot Lot himself was not practicing, but his, his family was subjected to it. His da- he almost submitted his daughter. We, we're not going to get into all that again. His, his position on morality shifted due to what? The, to, due to the lawless culture. Hey, if God said it was wrong centuries ago, it's still wrong. No matter who says it's okay, it's still wrong. We, we can be led away morally. It's permeating our society. It's infiltrating churches. But second of all, we're not just be, we can not only be led away morally, we can be led away doctrinally. You know, as I said here, this passage in 2 Peter is a warning to false teachers which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam. Every way, hey, they, they left the right way They have gone astray and they're following the way of Balaam, the wrong way. Now what does that tell us? It's very simple. Every way is not the right way. Who gets to decide what the right way is? God does. God does. It's in the Bible. Just because something is my way or your way does not mean it's God's way. Right? There's a way that seemeth right. Go with me, talking about the last days, go to the left a little bit to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to move around here a little bit. But 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. The Bible says a lot about this subject. Now the Spirit speaketh, 1 Timothy 4, 1, page 276 in your Cambridge Wide Margin Bible. (laughs) Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, that's the underlying subject we're talking about, in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. You know, if you... In a little while, Lord willing, I will depart this building. I'll depart this parking lot. Uh, In order for me to depart the parking lot, it means I've been in the parking lot, right? I'm telling you, you come to church here, you're going to get some deep stuff. 
So to depart from the faith, that means once you at least gave lip service or acknowledgement to the faith. These are not just people that are atheists. These are the people who are coming out now so commonly who are now unbelievers and atheists were at one time said they believed. In the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed, listening to, paying attention to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, sp speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Friday, I found out what would happen if you put your index finger on the exhaust manifold of a lawnmower. My finger was seared. It doesn't even feel the same. Seared. And you know what? People's conscience are seared. They're hardened. They're, they're carterized. They're callous. I think most people, rec we're talking about being led away morally, being led away doctrinally. Most people recognize, I think, the doctrinal apostasy of our day, turning away from one of the most familiar names among my, some of my preacher friends is Stephen Anderson. Now, you may not have ever heard of Stephen Anderson. He's a pastor um, in Arizona, an independent Baptist pastor. He's, he's well known for a blacklist he has of preachers who preach repentance. He calls them out. Anybody preaches repentance, he finds out about it, you get to build on the list. He promotes hatred for homosexuals. Not calling out homosexuals a sin, but saying that God hates homosexuals. They could never be saved. He's very anti-Israel. He, he is a classic example of someone who claims to be something who is, is really turning, he's turned from the faith and he's turning other people from the faith. I, I know missionaries on foreign in our foreign countries that we support, whose people have been poisoned by his online ministry, teaching and preaching. I'm just telling you, it's a, it's a, it just, it's the craziness just goes on and on and on. You may have saw, seen this, you may have seen it or read about it. If you didn't, it's funny. You ought to see it. This, is, this was news about two weeks ago from Union Seminary, made the national news. This seminary, place for teaching and preaching and providing education for ministerial students, recently held a chapel service where students were allowed to apologize to plants for their climate sins. You can watch it online. Seminary students confessing their sins to plants. Now, there's only one way to describe that. It's insanity. It's demonic. These people are training people for the ministry. And it, it is an extreme example, but I'm just saying it. This is craziness. And we see it, sometimes we see it in people that we know. That's the heartbreaking part. People that once believed certain things, but now they've been liberated from those truths of the Bible to a new way. And so I have two questions, and both of them start with the word why. Why are these false teachers so deceived, and why are those who believe them so deceived? 
And there's, pretty, there's a, probably a long list of things, but I'm going to give you two of them that I think are self-evident. The first one, and I'm going to go back to 2 Peter chapter 2, if you'd join me there. 2 Peter, and we're going to look up a few other verses for this. But look what it says in 2 Peter chapter 2 about these false teachers in verse 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, despise government, presumptuous are they. And here's the word that I think describes a big contributor. Self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Self-willed. You know how these false prophets ended up where they were? Ended up where they were at Peter's time? Ended up where they are? Because they're led by following what they want. Self-willed. By the way, one of the qualifications in Titus of a pastor is not self-willed. You cannot be governed by what you want. Young person, you cannot be governed by what you want. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? Do what Jesus said. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Him. Put you, you know, self-will is destroying professing Christians. I say professing because I don't know who's saved and who's not. Um, you're in 2 Peter, and I'm going to come back to 2 Peter probably. Go to the left if you would, please. Talking about self-will. Here's, here's an interesting phrase in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. Hope you're able to follow along in your Bible. Philippians 3.17 says, Brethren, be followers together of me. Paul said this. Philippians 3.17. Brethren, be followers together of me and... Mark them which walk so, those who walk the same way, as you have us for an example. Young people, you know what you ought to be? You ought to be able to look around your church and see people who love God, live for God, serving the Lord, trying to raise their family right, and, and, and follow them as an example. That's what this verse is telling you. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so, as you have us for an example. Don't get your example, your pattern, any other place. Get it from people who fear God and love God. You say, well, I don't, I don't think we ought to do that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I think God's way is the right way. And then verse 18 says, For many walk, of whom I've told you often. See, Paul talked about this a lot. For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is their destruction, is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now, he goes on to say, for our conversation is in heaven. Our lifestyle, our conversation, they mind earthly things. But the, phrase, the phrase I want to call your attention to, verse 19, is this, whose God is their belly. Now, that's not talking just about their dietary choices. It's not just talking about their nutrition. It's talking about their commitment to their own pleasures. 
Their God, their God is pleasing themselves. And I want to tell you, when a person gets there, it's, it's not easy to fix that problem. And it was a problem in Paul's day as he wrote to the Philippians. It's a problem in our day. And you find this phrase numerous times. It's self-willed. It's self-willed. I believe a life-changing moment could be for any person to, to get serious about their spiritual life, look themselves in the mirror and say, you're not going to get your way anymore. From now on, it's going to be God's way. That'd be a great decision, wouldn't it? Not self-willed. Paul writing his second epistle to Timothy said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. If we're not there, we're sure close. If we're not there, we can see it from here. Lovers of their own selves. Just fulfilling their appetites. I mentioned that epistle to Peter. Let's go there. Second, I mean Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And here again, we find this... Every one of these things we're saying have this common thread. It's a warning about the danger of error, the danger of being distracted, the danger of being led away from your own steadfastness. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, look in verse 3, it says, For the time will come, it will come, Timothy, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They're not going to be committed to sound doctrine. They won't endure sound doctrine, but they, they're going to find teachers that will satisfy them. And verse 4 says, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. To me, if you boil all that down, what do you, you, they're wanting to fulfill their own appetites, even as far as preaching is concerned. Their doctrinal choices. Imagine, imagine this sad state of life. When your doctrinal choices are based on your personal preferences, not on the Word of God. So in other words, if you want to drink booze, then find a preacher who believes it okay. You can find him. If you don't want to tithe, find you a preacher that thinks that's outdated. You can find him. That's not worshiping God. That's worshiping your will. Do you get that? Do you see that? It's worshiping your will. It's, and it's sometimes even twisting the Scripture so you can make it seem like it's what you want it to be. And of course, the, what's actually happening here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is they're rejecting the Word of God. And that's the other thing that's a common thread. It's not just self-willed, but you reject the final authority, which is the Word of God. And that's what happens here. 2 Timothy 4, he says they're going to they're turn away their ears from the truth. They're going to turn to fables. Re, they reject the commandments and principles of God's Word. And that, that again goes back to that word lawlessness. And what's happening? They're being led away morally. They're being led away doctrinally. And they're being led away spiritually. And let's go back to 2 Peter 3 and we'll wrap this up. 2 Peter chapter 3. Notice what Peter wrote. 
He said, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But here's the antidote for that. Verse 18, But grow in grace, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You know how you avoid being led away, young person? By growing in grace. By keep growing in the Lord. Keep growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Now, confess your faults one to another. I'm going to confess a fault to you. Um... I think at some point in my life I maxed out on the level of math that I really needed. I think it was the third grade. <laughs> no. <laughs> I said, that's enough of that. I never did the calculus stuff. I never did the trig stuff. I never even, I did geometry and algebra one. But, and I'm not against math, and I'm not, but I'm just saying this. There certain subjects, you, you learn so much, you say, you know, I think that's enough for now. But you never say that about your spiritual growth. Never. never. There's never been a day when I don't need the Bible. Not a day. Not one day. You could say, well, preacher, you read it every day. You've read it through many times. You preach several times a week. Surely there's a day. When, no, I need to be feeding my soul every day. But grow in grace. Don't be led away, but, but on the other hand, grow in grace. I have written in the margin of my Bible where it says, Beware lest you also. And I have the word written out there, one. O-N-E. Zero N-E, one. Or, down here I have the word other. Grow in grace. Either... You're going to be led away with the air of the wicked. And you're going to be led away from your steadfastness. Or the other is, just keep growing in grace. Because one or the other is probably going to happen to us. It's not always this way. I know it's not probably always this way. But I think it would be interesting to know how often it's this way. Where someone who once had a relationship with God, where they loved God and served God and read the Bible and liked going to church and liked singing praises to God, and then one day they find themselves in a place where they don't really have an appetite for it anymore. And they, they, they find fault, they see reasons to criticize, but they don't really have a heart for the things of God. And I want to tell you what the, what's often the case Somewhere along the line, they begin to be led astray by the error of the wicked and move from their own steadfastness and they quit growing in the Lord. You know what I need when I get a negative attitude? I need to get right with God. You know what I need if I get a complaining mood? I need to get right with God. You know what I need if I start looking at things that I shouldn't look at or being drawn away. I need to get right with God, not just keep going that way. We either keep growing or we fall from our steadfastness. I like steadfastness. 
I like stability. I like, I like the security of knowing I'm standing where I need to be standing and believing what I need to be believing. Don't you? I think there's some, I think that's a good place to be. So what if you find yourself in a place described here in 2 Peter 3.17 or somebody you know or love, they have been led away from the air by the, with the error of the wicked and they've fallen from their steadfastness. What should they do? Should they ignore it? If you're sitting here tonight and if you'd get really, really honest with yourself, you can easily remember a time when you had a heart for serving the Lord more than you do now or a heart for the Word of God more than you do now. I'm talking about a love for the Bible and a love for the God of the Bible. And now you feel like I'm, I'm, really, I'm, really, in, I'm really being led away. Not from church. You can be in church and still not have your heart right with God. I want to tell you, that's not a good place to be. And I want to tell you something else. You can't know it's a bad place just because it makes you uncomfortable because people get in a bad place spiritually by doing what's comfortable. I'm going to tell you, it will take some radical, serious changes to fix this. Radical. And the hardest thing, and the, I think the biggest hurdle to cross and mountain to climb is to admit how wrong you are. To admit that it's not everybody else that's messed up. That you've allowed this to happen to you. Or in somebody you know, somebody you love, somebody that you care about. It's hard to get a person to come to that place. I've seen it happen, but it's hard to get a person to admit. After all of this time, I, I, really, I really admit, I really come to grips with the fact that the, the biggest problem in my life is me. It's hard to get a person there. And I want to tell you something. This may sound negative, but I think it's true. Half-hearted commitments do not a disciple make. Jesus is not looking for half-hearted devotion. He's looking for those that are all in. Amen? Amen. He is. You say, aren't you afraid somebody would be turned away by the... I'm just going by what Jesus said. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Right? That's what Jesus said. I'm not saying I always do it, but that's what I'm supposed to do. By the way, that's what the new man wants to do. There is a, if you're saved, there's a part of you that wants to be all in for Jesus. And if there's not a part of you that really feels that way, you have serious reason to wonder if you've ever been saved. So, our friend Lot vexed his righteous soul day by day living among them, seeing and hearing, until eventually he became so much like his culture. And what a sad place to be. Amen? I don't want it to happen to me. And I don't want it to happen to you. Amen? Amen.